0: The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumba. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website
2: for details.
3: Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at AmFam.com.
4: Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and It's operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6,000 American
2: Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?
0: Mets fans! Welcome to episode 287 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation, New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, and we have a bit of a different show this week, just because of the news involving Sandy Alderson, which we'll get to in just a second. And so, uh, the bulk of the show is going to be myself and Rob Wolf talking about Sandy as general manager, his legacy, and... Hypothesizing about what might be happening next, so check it out. Well, Rob, we are recording on uh, Wednesday night. The Mets are currently beating the Pirates three nothing, and uh, you know, as as happy as it is to watch the Mets possibly win two games in a row here, something that only has happened once this month. This has been a, a sad week for for the Mets and for their fans, and uh, you know, for for baseball in general because it. The news came out that Sandy Alderson has had a relapse of his cancer. Uh, it was never said when he was diagnosed what type of cancer it was, and that has remained, you know, uh, a... that uh, has remained undisclosed, and that's fine. You know, we don't need to know his personal business. But, you know, anytime you hear about someone's cancer coming back, that is, that is never a good thing, although he says the prognosis is good. And so Alderson is taking a leave of absence from the team. In his stead, there will be a three-headed GM position of... John Rico, Omar Manaya, and J.P. Ricciardi, and uh, you know this is a pretty good time to sort of pause and look at the. I can't believe it's been this long—almost eight years—of Sandy Alderson's tenure as Mets general manager. So, wow. you know, overall, what do you think of Alderson's job? What do you think, you know, of of what he's done recently, and what do you think his legacy is going to be? You know, we'll dig deep in a minute, but just sort of general overall to start?
4: Hmm. Those are heavy. No. Um, and yeah, of course, obviously, you know, as you said, it, it's incredibly sad news and like it's sad in this world to even have to preface it and say like, you know, digging into his legacy and what he did for the Mets, like, you know, secondary, like, yes, it's just incredibly sad that this is the way it ended. And I, you know, I always liked him personally, even if I didn't like him personally, I would be very sad about the relapse and I you know, wish him the best, you know, as we is analyze how he did uh, that's obviously much more important even than our baseball team and, and as I said I of liked course. him I, I liked him personally uh, I liked you know I liked the occasional sarcastic comments and kind of digs at the Met fans and and mm-hmm. at, at panic city you know I you know I love this team you know probably to an unhealthy degree but it is still just baseball and you know sometimes I I, I enjoyed his you know I I got a kick out of people taking it like he was dismissive or didn't care that much. I mean, obviously, this is a man who cared about excellence and doing a good job and winning, even if, you know, that's not, you know, what we're looking at now. And, you know, and obviously he was, you know, seemed so upset about that at a time when he, you know, really only needs to worry about his health. Um, That's a good question uh, about his, you know, I was always in the, you know, People either, you know, thought he was a god or, like, people thought he got way too much credit. Yeah, I always liked him, uh, you know, gave him the benefit of the doubt, uh, liked the process, uh, even if the results didn't always work. Uh, definitely this past year, uh, whether whether he was making those decisions now is, you know, or, you know, solely responsible for them, obviously not, might be more of a question. Uh, definitely the last, this season... Uh, there were some questions. I had, you know, first guessing, as I like to say. It's always easy to second guess. <laughs> always, e- everyone can second guess. But you know, I was like Jason Vargas, really? You know, like <laughs> when, when I first guess is when I'm like, yeah. Now I'm angry because you know I, you know, Jay Bruce three and thirty nine. You know, J- Jason Vargas two and sixteen. Was it? I, you know, I didn't like that at the time. That's much easier than. It's much easier, or, or you, know, you feel more justified than that than when you, uh, you know, when you get angry about a trade that you were ranting about, and, <laughs> right? Um, and you know, legacy, yeah, you know, it'll be an interesting conversation, uh, Brian. You know, I mean, legacy, we probably won't know for a few years. Like, I can't believe when you just said how long he's been here. You know, that's well got to be one of the longer tenures. Uh, a Met general manager has had. And, you know, maybe in some happy future, it's hard for me as a Met fan to think of a happy future. Uh, you <laughs> know, maybe maybe three and a half years from now, you know, the Mets are cruising into the playoffs with, like, a you're cruising into the World Series with a Conforto, Nimmo, Kalenic outfield, and David Peterson, and people are saying, hey, this isn't Rico's team, this is Sandy's team. <laughs> Sandy built this team. And put hashtag it, yeah.
0: Rico's mess, hashtag <laughs> Sandy's <laughs> team, yeah. <laughs> so...
4: I don't know what are, what are what are your thoughts, Brian? You know, I, I'm I, I'm
0: probably a guy who has uh, stumped for sin too much o- over mm-hmm. the last couple of years, uh, and, and part of that is a I think an overreaction to Omar Minaya as mm-hmm. Mets general manager. You know, I always thought that Minaya was you know he was what the team needed at the time, right? He he was a big change from what was here before, and he. He was flashy and made big signings, and that was all really exciting at the time. But when you look at what Omar left, there were a lot of a lot of things to be desired there. And I was looking forward to a more process-based general manager. You know, I I I fancy myself not in any means an expert on sabermetrics and you know sort of uh, advanced statistics. However, I think that that is. It's not my job to be an expert in it, but it is a front office's job to be expert in it. And so I really appreciated the sort of more statistically minded approach that he was bringing, even if that approach was probably overstated Mm -hmm. in terms of what he actually implemented or used. Uh, You know, I I think he was, because he's a minor character in Moneyball, I think people expected him to be coming in with... uh, With a crazy new statistical approach, looking at numbers no one's ever considered before. And that just, that wasn't really who Alderson ever was, let alone who he was in, you know, the winter of 2010 and going forward. Mm. Uh, You know, I I think we we were talking a little bit before the podcast about this, and you used a really, I I think, astute term, which is, you sort of called him the front man for the Wilpons. And I, I think that that's an absolutely thankless job. You know, uh, all of us, I'm sure, have had jobs in the past where we've had to apologize for our bosses to somebody or other, you know, uh, sorry about the manager, he's in a bad mood today, that sort of thing. Well, uh, you know, uh, Sandy always had to do that every day, essentially, for the last eight years, and uh, for some truly perplexing things and some truly negative situations, you know, Alderson did about as good of a job in that capacity as you could possibly hope for. Uh, the fact that he wasn't laughed out of press conferences with regularity for having to cover some of the inane shit that the willpond said and did is a testament to itself. Um,
4: but Apologies, not just that the managers, you know, in a bad mood. Sorry, they're not here. Sorry, they're <laughs> never present. Yeah,
0: exactly. <laughs> yeah, that is that's very, very true. He, um. You know, and like you said, I think it's pretty hard to dislike Sandy Alderson if you're somebody who sort of appreciates sarcasm, and uh, you know he could be he could be downright sardonic at times, and and I appreciated that, and and I think he just brought a uh, he felt like the grown up in the room, and I kind of hate that phrase because I think it's, it's it's overused, but you know, in the last front office, you know. We had people tearing their shirts open and challenging players to fights. Uh-huh. You can't, you cannot imagine Alderson letting anything like that happen under his watch. You know, right. he he was a tough Marine, and uh, you know, ran a tight ship. And I think he was really good for the franchise. You know, just just on on a very very superficial level, to get Noah Syndergaard and Zach Wheeler on this team. If you're just looking at those two moves, those mm-hmm. were huge deals at the time, absolutely gigantic. Uh, and he did so without with, without sacrificing the farm. You know, I look nobody loved R.A. Dickey more than I did. You know, mm-hmm. my wife was pregnant during the ascension of R.A. Dickey, and I kept joking if it was a boy, you're gonna name it R.A. And you know, she didn't take too kindly to that, but you know, uh, it's a fun first name, you it know, is. Robert.
4: Exactly, that works, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: but uh, you know, it's uh, but it was, you know, trading Dickey at the time was probably not the most popular move, but look what it got us. You know, not just Cindergaard, not just Travis Darno, but John Buck also. You know mm-hmm. that that was an absolutely masterful trade. The fact that he got Zach Wheeler, who's pitching now, right now for for set for six months four months whatever it was of uh carlos beltran was you know again just a master stroke the
3: probably fact
4: two and a half right or i mean that... it, probably two and a half i'm sorry to interrupt yeah. you I no it's it was, fine yeah the deadline uh yeah I, I mean you're right it was like two and a half months about yeah I, and yeah i loved that process like that kind of you know, we want Wheeler. No, we're not going to do it. We, well, that—that's what it's going to take. Then you're not yeah. going to get Carlos Beltran. Like, you know, he seemed like he had a price. You know, he had an idea, and he stuck with it. And you know, maybe at certain times that was a detriment. But yeah, in those trade negotiations, that seemed, you know, perfect. Like, yeah, it was. It just seemed like good process and strong leadership. And yeah, yeah.
0: and and even getting UN Cespedes. You know, that that was not. Uh that was a move that I don't think anybody thought could have happened two months earlier and all yeah. this and Alderson pulled it off. You know, again, I, I know there are people on the site like uh, I, and Lucas Flajos is one who, who still thinks that we overpaid for Cespedes uh, with, with Michael Fulmer. And I, I can respect that position, even if I uh, somewhat disagree with it. I, I just think that in the position the Mets were in, they saw they had a window. They had to take advantage of that window and one extra good starting pitcher wasn't going to be the the player that was going to push them over the edge they needed a power hitter and they got that in Cespedes and again whether you can talk about the long-term uh merits of it the Mets reached the postseason two times in a row two back-to-back seasons the first time in their history they sorry the second time in their history they'd ever done that you know and you can credit Cespedes with a lot of that that's yep. a that that that's an important trade. So I think just on the trades, Alderson's legacy is relatively sound. I think free agent wise, it's been a very different story.
4: Yes, yes, I, I would say the trades. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I was a big fan of the Cespedes trade, and I, you know, I, again, like it's going against saying process when when you you, know, you look at the end result and the playoffs twice, but. It was true. And it was, you know, I mean, I, you know, I was at, I always tell people I was at that 18 inning Cardinal game in St. Louis uh, where Keith, you know, was sighing all over the place <laughs> watching the offense flail about. And, you know, we had a shot and, you know, we took it. And, yeah, I mean, you know, and that seems to be, have been the approach they've taken the last couple of years. I mean, this year, uh, you, know, you know, John Oliver calls uh, calls our current. National nightmare, stupid Watergate. Yeah. Uh, I, I was thinking of this early this year as like stupid twenty fifteen because I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like the pitching's good, but we still can't freaking hit. And like you know, it just, but it felt like if they hung around more, they probably would be. Tra- and yeah, I hate to ever root against my team, but um, I'm I'm kind of grateful in a way they haven't because it, it's you know th- this would not be a time to sell off more um, and be tempted to you know. Be tempted like we were in the uh, you know Chris Benson Victor Zambrano like oh we're we're kind of close let's let's go for it again uh, you know that seemed to be what they've tried to do the last few years and you know I I know that some people look at that as giving Sandy a, an excuse but you know that seems like budgetary in this like kind of malleable you know non uh, non specific budget you know having said that you're right the free agency piece of it where they were allowed to spend. Did not (laughs) did not go as well uh, for Sandy. Trades absolutely. Farm system is kind of as we touched on earlier. Maybe the jury's a little out. Uh, You know, it seems like depth is a huge issue. Obviously, the system's not ranked incredibly highly, but you know, a lot of the bigger pieces, a lot of the higher draft picks, Conforto, you know, Nimo was scoffed at. You know, or like you know, as as we discussed in the earlier podcast, like fourth outfielder. Looks like that might come through a little better uh, than, than we thought. Uh, Ciccini, not so much. But, uh, you know, the the, the draft, I, I think it'll take a few years to evaluate that legacy. But free agency is problematic, and I guess...
0: And even from the beginning, if you remember his first offseason, I think it was, he signed both DJ Carrasco and Frank Francisco.
4: Oh, I remember. <laughs> I'm afraid that I do. You know, yeah.
0: so, I mean, that... Those were his two big free agent signings, I believe, that first year. I could be off on that, but I th- believe that was his first year. And, think, you know, yeah. uh, the um, even something like the, the Juan Ligares extension mm. was, you know, again, good process that did not work out necessarily for the team. Um, but, you know, the the Jay Bruce signing this offseason, I, I think, was one that in the beginning of the offseason, seemed reasonably fair. And then mm-hmm. as the prices continued to drop, it seemed like an incredible overpay. But, you know, again, that's what you get for for signing somebody, you know, pretty early out of the shoot. But sure. Alderson was able to make up for it in a way with, uh, with signing Frazier for such a small contract. And obviously Frazier has not been great this season. But I, I think... I think if you had told me in October that Frazier would get what he got for two years, I would never have
4: believed you. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean Frazier and Swarzak, I was delighted with uh, Bruce. I, Bruce, it was. I, I didn't think it was going to be the overpay. It became, but I, I still was like, well, you know, I thought we got rid of him because we have two corner outfielders that we that are better. Um, and, you know, obviously Cespedes is hurt, but you, you know, it just it just seemed to indicate this, like, you know, playing people out of position and, oh, yeah, we'll just put Conforto in center or, you know, then it made me worried, you know, I know Conforto did have that horrible injury, but, you know, three years it was like, you know, we want Michael Conforto to be a big part of this team, right? Like
0: yeah, exactly.
4: You know, I mean, you know, who knows? you know, these, again, that's the whole point I think of, like, second guessing or, you know, I was all in on Kane and, you know, it's easy to look at Kane and, say like see I was right you know on the other hand if we saw Lorenzo Cain you know we probably trade Brandon Nimmo in the offseason for like Josh Harrison or you know or just we don't have this wonderful you know development of Nimmo um you know who knows maybe he replaces Cespedes when he gets hurt and where we have you know a, a plethora of all-star outfielders but you know you, you just you never know um, right. but but yeah as far as You know, and then I I guess it gets back to you. You said you're a big Alderson, you know, fan. Or I don't want to use the word apologist because I don't think he needed that. I think he, you know, especially early on, I was delighted with the job he did, and i I I think it was. uh, I think you put it very aptly that like he was a necessary piece and like an adult in the room and brought some stability and legitimacy to the franchise. Um, I probably was a bit of an apologist. I feel. I feel like. It's one of those, you know, you could, if you, it's almost like chicken or the egg. It's like, I, oh, he made those, you know, Carrasco Francisco signings because of the budget, because of the will Like, if you want to be, you know, an apologist, you, quote unquote, you can look at those signings and be very, oh, it's because they're not giving him a budget. But they, they gave him, you know, as other people have rightly pointed out, like, you know, the, the Brewers, the Dodgers, teams like that—you know—they're—they're they're finding diamonds in the rough without, you know, right? Anything. And yeah. where were those signings? Like, are they, that's kind of like, why are we just like a uh, house for wayward veterans, wayward washed-up veterans? Like, why, why are <laughs> we not like unearthing the Max Muncies and Hizu Sagiyars of, you know, I don't know, of the world? Uh, so, so yeah, I think that's a piece where. You know, for whatever reason, uh, you know whether it was. Uh, I, you know, I think that's a place where Alderson or this front office, uh, this organization, has, you know, really dropped the ball over this regime.
0: Yeah, and and I think that that's one of those things that that Omar Minaya's team managed to do a little bit, like you know, uh, the R. A. Dickey signing, let's say. Mm-hmm. is one that was literally laughed at i remember and this is i, I think uh, i think you'll appreciate the story because uh, you mentioned John Oliver before I went to a daily show taping in uh-huh. the winter of oh geez let's call it 2009 2010 somewhere around there mm-hmm. and somebody asked John Stewart why he continues to be a Mets fan <laughs> and it was, it was it was during like the Q a before the show he would do with the audience. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Well, you know, I know that the Yankees have Sabathia or whatever." He said, "He said we have," and I said, "All right, Dickey." <laughs> and and he said, "Like, yes, we have a forty-year-old knuckleballer without a UCL or something like that." Like you know, <laughs> and so I I would, even even initially the Dickey signing was considered like, "Oh, he's a cute novelty." Well, then mm-hmm. he had that incredible season, and all novelty was was pushed aside for you know, for just how damn good he was. And right. that was, that was a signing that Alderson hasn't been able to replicate. And obviously I'm not saying you're going to sign another Ari Dickey, but you know, mm-hmm. but you understand what I'm saying here, you know, that sort of diamond in the rough that no one expected anything of, you know, everyone that, that Alderson has had good success with on a, on a free agent basis, you know, the, as Dribble Cabreras of the world, um, mm-hmm. have been players who were already somewhat noted. Right, you know, and
4: there's just this sense that, like, even when you mentioned Juan Lagares earlier, like, there's a sense that, like, and again, that's something I want to attribute to ownership, but you know, that might just be me. You know, it, it seems like one failure like scares off anything else. Like, like Juan yes. Lagares, you know, we did the, you know, we're going to be proactive and sign young guys and take up their arbitration years. You know, that's that's the, you know, that's what smart teams do. It's what smart teams do to win ball games. <laughs> um, and you know, then you know, that went awry, so then it's like, oh, forget, you know, Lucas Duda, forget, you know, the pitchers. We're not we're not entertaining that notion anymore. And yeah, it's like we Frank Francisco and DJ Carrasco and it's like, well, we're not giving relievers contracts anymore, yeah. you know, as the bullpen grew in importance in you know, in baseball. Uh, you know, so yeah that that was frustrating too it's like you you know and that's where i think people rightly focus on budget somewhat is you know like a market team should be able to eat a mistake or two like that that should be the advantage like yes you can win with a lower payroll like what what makes the lower payroll team success so amazing is that they're threading a needle and that they're you know, almost everything they hit on has to. You know, everything has to come together with like young players and the RA Dickey signing and the Max Muncie and the you know yeah. you know league career minor league free agents all at one time before the good players become free agents and you know a, a big market team should be able to eat a mistake or two. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I want to go
0: back to to Lagarus for a second because you know you you saying that kind of sparked my memory here. And Ligaris has unquestionably not played up to his contract, right? I think we can we can say that without question. However, I will say that until recently, nobody ever gave him the chance to play up to his contract. Ooh. He was always jerked around in terms of playing time. And, you know, there was the hashtag free Ligaris movement a couple of years ago, you know, because he was just because Terry Collins just did not want to play him every day in center field. And I wonder if that would, was a move that Alderson could have got some credit for if the if the on-field product had been, or if the, if the on-field manager had more followed sort of the way he constructed the team.
4: Yeah. Yeah, and all that information last year about, like, you know, having possibly wanted to get rid of Collins earlier, I mean, that's a, that's a tough scenario, you know, to be in, if that's true. Like, you know, if you're not, you know, if you know the manager's kind of buddies with the owner and uh Protected and like yeah, you're having a hard time getting him to follow through with uh what you want. I mean, yeah, you know, and with Lagaris and you know yeah, I don't know. It just seems like we identify a skill and then it's like not enough. It's like he's an elite defensive player, you know, but then you give him a contract and it's like why isn't he suddenly hitting 300? Also, his oh, bat right, can't yeah. because of his bat. It's like well. You know, he was a, you know, I forget, you know, like, you know, he was like a four and a half war player, you know, just on his defense. You know, that's why you gave him this contract. Enjoy that and let him play and let him develop. Like, you know, I feel like we're watching it a little, you know, a little bit with Rosario Rosario now. It's, you know, like, oh, he's not hitting like, you know, like Lindor and Correa out of the gate. He was a top prospect in baseball. It's like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, I was hoping for more, but, you know, I'm also cognizant that he's, you know, 22, 23 and developing and is the best defensive shortstop we've had in some time. Right. You know, appreciate that. (laughs) Um, And And
0: not only that, but this team has a history of light hitting good glove shortstops. I mean, you and I are approximately the same age. When the Mets went to
4: the World Series, who was their shortstop? Rafael Santana and then... uh, well, Ray Ardonez who got hurt, right? Mike <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I don't ever remember. Yeah, Actually, when we traded for Mike Bordick, I was like, wow, it's the number of home runs that guy has. How about that? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Jose Reyes was really the first, like, you know, defensive and offensive star of my Mets uh, yeah. fandom at shortstop.
4: Well, there was there was the uh, failed Howard Johnson experiment. Oh yes, there was. I'm sorry, <laughs> but uh, well, you said defensive and offensive. Howard is Johnson true. just an offensive. Uh, that offense. is true.
0: <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, it's um, it, it's, you know, it, it's a real shame. I want to I want to shift our conversation to, to to two areas here. The first I want to talk about is, you know, Alderson has said that he is taking a leave of absence. He did not say that he is retiring or that he is leaving the team. Although he did say that he does not know if, because of health or merit, he should return. So I know that they're not going to fire Alderson when he has cancer. That's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. Do you think Sandy Alderson's days as GM are effectively over?
4: Uh, Yes. I'd be pretty surprised if, uh, you know, I mean, unless we're talking about coming back to, you know, hand over the reins to someone formally like i i just can't imagine you know him coming back i think it provides a convenient you know i don't want to say again convenience a a horrible word to use (laughs) given the given the scenario but like i I think it you know it it felt like you know this season was you know obviously has not been what they hoped and drew up and that it could have been drawing to that kind of crescendo and you know there obviously these reports coming out now that well, yeah partly because of help maybe not solely because of help that you know rico that, that we had our cerebus uh you know, three <laughs> at it, you know uh in their you know planning moves and bringing it to sandy so it, it just seems like i just hope that i you know i hope that in time you know people Respect and appreciate. You know, you mentioned. You know, Chris mentioned on the podcast. Uh, you know, one or two weeks ago, like, yeah, you know, they went to a World Series, and and you mentioned at the top, they they went to the playoffs two straight years. uh You know, I, I hope that people will look back and appreciate. You know, what he did for restoring some stability and respect to the franchise and leading them to some success. I mean, you know. You know where I know we lost the World Series in a particularly you know painful fashion, but you know that's still a, an incredibly successful year. I mean, if you told me before 2015 your season's going to end, in your 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 team's going to make the World Series, I'd just been like, great, sign me up. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
4: <laughs> you know, so he, I mean, the team had you know some success, uh, you know, and it was. At, at a time when you know it led it to success starting at a time when it was you know pretty near rock bottom and and like you said there, that there were just a lot of you know holes that the previous regime had left so yeah, i hope he's remembered all, but i don't i don't see him coming back i mean you know he's sound you know he obviously sounded like he's a yeah, as you said he's a marine and he Uh, yeah, I, I feel like he probably feels a sense of, I did not accomplish my goal here, but, you know, I don't know that I deep down, would he want to come back if there's a chance? I mean, I, I just don't think so. I think, you know, I just hope that we wind up, you know, again, I hate saying, I hope the team does poorly, but I hope. You know, either they, they do so poorly, or like that, that that there's some need to if we're going to move on, that like we hire another real GM. I mean, I know John Rico and Peter Charlie and Omar, I all have experience in this field, and I don't. So, who the hell am I to talk? But <laughs> you know, it seems like time to go in another different direction. I guess is what I'm saying is, you know, I I do I think have more of a Now that we're talking and having this conversation, I think I have even more of a reserve of, like, appreciation and respect for Sandy that I appreciated. I think at the top I was kind of like, ah, I was kind of in the middle, you know, people loved him too much or hated him too much. But I I think I really did, you know, really did like him. And, uh, you know, I appreciated feeling that someone was in charge. Uh, even if that wasn't the case the last, in, the, in, the, in this past-off season or during this season uh, um, alone, I, I hope they, you know, recapture that or, you know, or obviously the elephant in the room, I hope, you know, you know, that person is not Jeff Wilpon. But uh, yeah. I guess there's really nothing <laughs> we can do about that. Yeah. What do you think? Do you, uh, I, I do don't,
0: you, I don't think he's coming back either. I, I think it would be really nice if he could, mm-hmm. but, you know, cancer's a scary word, and... Even if you beat it, I don't know if you want to necessarily get back into the grind of, of uh, of such a high stress job. You know, right. I could see the Mets bringing him back in a lesser capacity. Mm. You know, call him a special assistant to the general manager and let him scout for you, or let him you know advise without the sort of day to day stress of being the GM.
4: Yeah, that sounds smart. Yeah,
0: we'll see, you know, and then I guess the, the place that, that will wrap up this conversation is just looking ahead a little bit to the Cerebus, as you called it, uh, general management team. You know, I, I have to say I, I'm a bit of a John Ricco mark, if only because we both are from the same tiny town in New Jersey and our moms are friends. So <laughs> um, not not like the best of friends or anything, but, you know, when my daughter was born, she uh, Mrs. Ricco knit my daughter a blue and orange like cap for a baby and that's what she does for all the Mets players that have kids so that was that was a cool little moment in my life um to get that you know but but my folks were friendly with the Rickos you know uh for all the years we lived in Creskill New Jersey a little two square mile town in Bergen County and so you know I um you know just because of the hometown then I've always kind of rooted for for Rico and Mm -hmm. you know Ricciardi again like Alderson is is sort of mythologized because of his role in Moneyball. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for those that have only seen the film, JP Ricciardi, along with, um, oh, who was the who was with the Mets and now is the running the Browns?
4: Deepa
0: Paul Deepa De Deepa couldn't uh, totally blanked on his name there. The two of them were kind of rolled into the Jonah Hill character from the film, mm-hmm. but you know, uh, Deepa Podesta was was sort of the bigger name in the book, but Ricciardi was one of the rising stars of that front office, and when both of them came over with Alderson, it just seemed like they're putting the band back together, you know, this is gonna be, this is gonna be huge, and then the Podesta departed, and richardis stayed in the background, which is probably smart after his disaster of a time as the Toronto general manager, you know, he right. he, he came in with a lot of fanfare. You know, made some bold moves that didn't work out, and the Blue Jays uh, ownership just did not give him a chance to make up for those mistakes, or, or rather, to let his sort of decisions begin to take effect. You know, they just they didn't like what he did, and he was out of there pretty quickly. So, I think for for Ricciardi, you're probably you're probably seeing the most Aldersonian of the three. Okay. Uh um, yeah. you know, Rico worked for Major League Baseball before he worked for the Mets. He seems to me to be the uh maybe he has that that Aldersonian sort of demeanor that that unflappable kind of, you know, even-keeled personality that I think is something that Brian Cashman also has uh, across mm-hmm. town for the Yankees yeah. and is oftentimes a source of frustration for the fiery New York baseball fan who wants their general manager to scream and yell, but I think ultimately is a very good thing. Uh, And then Omar Minaya, you know, I don't think for all of our Omar Minaya jokes that we've made on amazing Avenue over the years, I don't think anybody doubts his ability as a, uh, as an evaluator of talent. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he had a very successful tenure as Mets general manager in, in some regards, you know, he got yep. them to the to the postseason in only his second year as GM. He got them within a game of the postseason the next two years. You know, mm-hmm. again, we were talking about sort of those smaller signings, those diamonds in the roughs. You know, it, not not even mentioning Dickey again, but you talk about Jose Valentin, who Valentin. was considered, you know, yeah. done by the time he got to the Mets. Uh, um, Fernando Tatis. Yep. You know, some of these some of these sort of players that appeared to be washed up, Darren Oliver, that he that mm-hmm. he, he brought in and then, you know, resurrected their careers in a lot of ways, you know. And uh, you know, drafted Matt Harvey and yep. you know he was he you know, he, he, he's a he well, he was not my favorite general manager, he's certainly a guy who has who has the bona fides, right? You know he, right. he's he's not a Again, he may not be my choice, but he's not a ridiculous choice. So I I, I don't know how these three are going to fit together. Yeah. You know, I, I remember from from studying my, uh, my uh, world history, the triumvirate uh, in mm-hmm. Rome that happened after Caesar's death, and it was mm-hmm. supposed to be this wonderful experiment that never really took off. Yeah. I can't see this being more than a half-season solution. Right. But... I'm kind of curious to see
4: how it's going to work out. What do you think we're going to get from this? Oh my god! I, 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 I mean, it's, it's really a mystery to me. Like, it's really, it's going to be fascinating because I, I don't, I, I, really don't know. I mean, I assume we're heading to like a, you know, yeah, yeah as, as he's, you know, possibly blowing a save. Uh, you know, I, I assume we're at <laughs> least maybe trading Familia. You know, maybe we could get, you know something low level for Cabrera, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, like maybe Blevins, maybe Blevins. Yeah. I, you know, I assume, yeah, they'll just, you know, muddle through the end of the year. I have a hard time, you know, picturing going through a full off season, like, yeah, with that kind of decision-making triumvirate, uh, you know, you would think there needs to be at least someone, if it is Rico or, you know, promoted to be the, lead voice or, you know, the decider, Uh, you know, I mean, most likely that is what's going to happen, too. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, unless the team completely implodes and finishes, you know, well behind the Marlins and, you know, worst record in the National League, which is not impossible. No, it's not, unfortunately. (laughs) I'm afraid. But, you know, I mean, unless something happens where it's like, you know, this – Groundswell of like you know the Mets have to do something dramatic and you know actually shake the little pond cocoon where they they're like oh we have to do something to uh you know to, to calm the rioting masses uh you know it'll probably be one of one of those three and you know or you know they will keep it as a status quo um you know I, I don't like to be a you know dictatorial minded person but it does seem like you know does seem like the kind of role where there should be one person in charge i mean i have no problem with you know them having lieutenants or you know other voices uh but you know some clarity in that if if it's going to be the three of them uh would seem kind of necessary no
0: and the scary part is i feel like if there's not a decision maker among the three of them that means yeah. the will pawns and the decision makers.
4: I knew you were gonna
0: say that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh huh. And that's yeah. that's really scary.
4: Yeah, right. I mean, I, I that. Thank you. That is, I think, what I was just rambling and dancing around was, you know, <laughs> like that's it, whether it was true or not. It felt like Sandy was a man who could, you know, just say to you know Jeffy or Fred, no, you right. know. Like, yeah. Yeah like, obviously I work for you, you know, like, you give me the budget, like, but, you know, you want me to do, ec- like, yeah, you want me to, you know, trade Rosario for, uh, you know, no. <laughs> like, that, yeah. you know, that, that's not what we're, you know, no. And, like, yeah, you worry about, how, yeah, are they going to allow another person of that stature, you know, even if it is partly for show and, you know, J- Jeff's really running running it, are they even going to, you know, Create the illusion of it. Yeah, it's uh, uh,
0: it's, it's going to be really fascinating to see how the rest of this year goes, because I think that Alderson also maybe because he is a process guy. You know, as as recently as last week, he was saying that the Mets were in between being buyers and sellers at the at the trade deadline, and I think for anyone watching the games, that sounds absurd. But if you believe in your process and you've run the numbers and you look at the talent this team has, you can be more patient if you're a true believer in what you've put together. I don't know if any of the guys that are there, A, are going to be that steadfast in this process or B can stand up to the Ponds and say, no, I trust this.
4: Right. And for all the people who, yeah, like, as you said, like, you know, like, like one, all the New York fans who want that fiery, you know, you know, oh, Brian's too dispassionate, and Sandy's too sarcastic and dispassionate. I mean, yeah, but should you be running a team? Like, should I be? You know, right, I should Team, yeah. like, you know, like, goddamn it, he blew a second straight save. Cut him. Just yeah. cut him. You know, but you know, <laughs> my, my wife will be watching a game. You know, I, I told her she's a Cardinal fan. Like, you know, they'll walk with the bases. You know. They'll, like, walk the two batters in a row. She's like, get him out of there. Get the I'm like, this is why we don't run a team. Like, you need to, you know, as hard as it is, you need to sit back and, you know, yeah, trust trust the process. You need right. to evaluate, you know, that's something I always had Faith in Sandy doing, maybe to a fault. Like, I, I, you know, I, but I prefer that fault to, like, yeah, the knee-jerk, like, you know, Casimir for Zambrano, you know, like, the, the you know, the making a spur like what felt very clearly like a spur of the moment decision of like nope we're, we 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 could go for it like did you really think this through <laughs> you know like it and I, you know I know I might be looking at results like that year didn't work out you know if right. if Cessna came over and did poorly you know we could probably look back and be like oh that was that was a ridiculous idea going for it that year and they gave up Fulmer and. You know, but, I don't know. Like, yeah, I, as I said, I always had faith that, you know, there was a process being followed. I I think that's, yeah, in New York fandom in particular, in some segments, an underappreciated thing that we may wind up missing, an underappreciated value that Sandy brought to the organization that I hope we don't notice how badly we miss.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I do wonder if... You know, Alderson, I think, by his own admission and by, you know, anybody who has eyes that watches baseball could tell you, Alderson was a pretty conservative general manager in terms mm-hmm. of making big, splashy trades or big, splashy signings. And part of that conservatism might have been rooted in the budget that we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum tonight, the idea <laughs> of, of being, you know, restricted by the Will ponds uh, tight purses. But mm-hmm. I wonder if this three-headed beast... Will, manage, will be less conservative, especially because, you know, the, the Wilpons seem particularly interested in making a splash every now and then. Mm. And I wonder if that will be uh, to their detriment in terms of, will one of these guys, especially if they know they're probably not going to be doing this exact job next year, does that make you more willing to trade a DeGrom or a Syndergaard or a Conforto? Or a
4: Nemo? Right. I hope not. I hope not. Yeah, I, I hope uh, Omar works his, you know, opening the purse book Devil Magic and, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, Mad, it's Manny is coming to town. I, I know that's not happening, but, you know, I, I, that's probably deep down anyone would still have positive Omar feelings, right? Like, he'll get him to spend. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah. You, even though, you know, people forget he he got them to spend Bernie Madoff money.
4: That is true. You know,
0: so that's... Uh, <laughs> That's quite a different situation. Um, I, I think the sort of the consensus that I've that I'm seeing us come to here is that I think we were we were fans of Alderson, and we recognize that you can't really talk about his legacy without talking about how the Will metal meddled, meddled in it, and because of that, we'll never really know. How good or bad of a general manager he will be until somebody writes the tell-all book in a few years.
4: Yeah, that's that'll be a bestseller. I'll I'll be online to buy it. Whoever uh, whoever turns that one out. Yeah, and
0: uh, you know I I think this goes without saying, but you know, uh, get well soon, Sandy Alderson. Uh, you know, we all hope that he beats this and that he that he you know lives a healthy and long life. With or without the meds, doesn't matter. We just want him to—he's uh, going to get well soon. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey
3: everybody, this is Steve Syber, and I'm back to go over our minor league plays of the week. We just finished week 11 now, which is June 17th to the 23rd, and Las Vegas went four and two which puts them at 32-43 and 43 for the season, which is 11 games behind the Salt Lake Bees for first place. Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 1-5 for a second week in a row now, and that puts them at 35-38, and 38, which is the first time in weeks that they've been under 500 and nine games behind the New Hampshire Fishercats. St. Lucie went 0-8, meaning that not only did they lose every single regularly scheduled game that they had this week, but they also lost every single... Rain postponed game that got picked back up this week, so that leaves them at twenty seven and forty three overall, which means that they went twenty seven to forty in the now ended first half and zero and three in the second half. Because the second half just started now, they're only three games back behind the Fort Myers Miracle, but with the way that they've been playing, that's not gonna last very long. Columbia Fireflies they went two and two, and that leaves them at thirty five and thirty five overall, thirty four and thirty three in the now ended first half. And then one and two in the second half, and like St. Lucie, they're only two games back behind the Charleston River Dogs, but that's because the second half just started. The Columbia Fireflies are a little bit more talented, I think, on paper than the St. Lucie Mets are, so maybe they'll be able to stay in contention longer. But at the same time, this is around the time when all those promotions start happening, so maybe the St. Lucie Mets will end up being the more talented team. Who knows? Speaking of talent, though, the Brooklyn Cyclones are not a very good team on paper. But yet, somehow, they're starting the season off very hot. They're currently 7-2, and two, and they went 6-1 and one this week. That puts them on top of the McNamara division in the New York Penn standings, and I don't know how long that's going to last, so let's just enjoy it while we can. And finally, Kingsport and the GCL Mets both started their seasons up, so now everybody's up and running. Kingsport is currently undefeated. They went 5-0 and oh this week. Uh, that's actually the first time they ever went five and zero, undefeated. And the GCL Mets are three and two. So that brings us to the pitcher of the week, and that individual is Binghamton Rumble Ponies right-hander Neville Krismet. He made one start this week, and he went eight innings, allowing one run on five hits. He walked one, and he struck out nine Trenton Thunder batters. Chris Matt quietly had a strong season in 2017. He posted a 3.95 ERA in 145 and two-thirds innings for St. Lucie last year. Um, And he led the entire Florida State League with 142 strikeouts. This year he's having another solid season uh, through 81.1 innings. He has a 3.43 ERA. He's allowed 41 hits. He's walked 28 and he struck out 82. So if the season ended right now, with those same kind of numbers stretched over 150 innings or so, you know, a full season, on paper, that probably would be, you know, a top prospect in the system. That raises a question, though. Is Chris Matt a top-ten guy? And that's a much harder question to to answer. Uh, Similar to Corey Oswalt last year, the numbers might be shiny, but then when you look under the hood, mm, not so much. Chris Matt isn't an overpowering guy. He relies more on moxie and guile than brute strength. His fastball is only fringed, average to average, sits in the high 80s and low 90s. It has some sync to it, so he gets above average ground ball rates, and he gets a lot of weak contact, and is able to limit home runs. Uh, Through his 14 starts this year, he has a 47.7% ground ball rate, he has a 25% infield fly ball rate, and he has a 0.66 home run per nine rate. His primary weapon is an above-average changeup. Uh, it's a pitch that sits about 80 miles per hour or so. So that's roughly 10 miles per hour differential from his fastball. And it has slight sudden drop. And he complements that with a slider and a loopy 12-6 to 6 curveball. He mixes all those pitches in. Um, he's comfortable throwing all of them in any count. But with the exception of the change, none of them are particularly good. The slider and the curveball, they serve their purpose, you know, changing eye levels of batters and giving hitters something else to think about, but they're not really pitches that are going to put batters away. So without a blazing fastball and really possessing only that one above-average secondary pitch, Chris Matt's been able to climb the minor league ladder and thrive at times, thanks to his above-average control and commands that he's exhibited pretty much his entire career. Over 448 and two-thirds professional innings, so that spans all the way from the Dominican Summer League to the Eastern League this year, he has a cumulative 2.3 walk-per-nine rate. Looking only at his time in the upper levels of the minors, he has a 2.2 walk-per-nine rate in 145.2 innings in the Florida State League, and then a 3.0 walk-per-nine rate in 87.1 innings in the Eastern League. So it definitely is a tightrope that Chris Matt's going to have to walk because of his... Lack of a a good fastball and his general lack of a stronger third pitch. But guys like that do make it to the major leagues and it wouldn't be unheard of if, you know, Chris Matt did. Look at a guy like Kyle Hendricks. He's very similar to Chris Matt, I think. Velocity just kind of scrapes 90 miles an hour. His good fastball changeup combination, a lot of ground balls, a lot of pitchability. Obviously, Hendricks has much better secondaries and that's what makes him a mainstay in the Cubs rotation, and Chris Matt, a 23-year-old in AA that's not even on the 40-man and has an uncertain future with the team. Um, Chris Matt's actually going to be a minor league free agent at the end of the season, so it'll be interesting to see what the Mets do here. But with guys like Corey Oswald and Chris Flexen just kind of shuttling up and down between AAA and Queens and not actually really getting proper auditions in either the rotation or the bullpen, I really doubt that the Mets are going to be able to find the time to give Chris Matt a decent look. And if he went somewhere else as a minor league free agent, it wouldn't be like a catastrophe or anything, but it would be annoying. From a baseball ops point of view, they'd just be losing an asset that could theoretically provide value. And from a more personal point of view, it would just kind of suck to see a guy that I've been watching and following for years now just leave without any kind of payoff. So, on a brighter note, I guess, is the hitter of the week. And that individual is Las Vegas 51's first baseman, Peter Alonso. He went 9 for 24 with a double, three home runs, one of which was a grand slam, 11 RBI, four walks, and eight strikeouts. So when Alonso went 0 3 in his Las Vegas 51s debut, people were already tossing the S word around, that word being slump. Since then, he's gone 9 for 24 with a double, three home runs, four walks, and that translates to a 375, 464, 792 batting line. And it's, he's he's faced an assortment of major leaguers, so it's not like he's beating up on, you know, has-beens and nobodies. He's gotten at-bats against Randall Delgado, Neftali Feliz, Pat Venditte, Justin DeFratis, Logan Andrzej, Drew Hutchinson. And he's also gotten at-bats against uh, top prospects, um, in particular Alex Young from Arizona and Braden Shipley from Arizona. So he's getting, you know, uh, he's he's faced a mixture of, you know, up-and-comers and guys that are kind of veterans and have established themselves in the major leagues. So, you know, other than the fact that he hasn't really missed a beat, there's not really much else to glean from this week in Las Vegas. You know, strikeout rate is a little up, but it's still such a small sample size that there really is nothing to be worried about. He made two errors, but, you know, fielding is not something that Alonso has ever been good at, and whatever team that he's playing for is going to always have to suck it up and, and face the fact that he is not and he never will be a particularly good fielder. And having seen him, you know, twice in the last three weeks, whatever it's been, I'm going to have to say that recent reports of quote-unquote improved defense are greatly exaggerated. So those are our minor league plays of the week for week 11 now. Some of those kids down in uh, Kingsport and GCL have really been killing it. So maybe next week, we start to see some new faces.
2: Hello, this is Aaron York for Mason Avenue Audio. And I am recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. The match just broke their seven-game losing streak with a walk-off win it was Wilmer Flores once again line drive down the left field line looks like it might have hit the umpire's leg but it's a fair ball either way and uh, and the Mets won a game and in dramatic fashion on the same day that Sandy Alderson said that he was going to step down as general manager and hopefully he uh is able to get healthy as his, his cancer has re- returned and it's a really sad situation. It doesn't look like he's going to be the general manager of the team again, even said so himself. He said it might not make sense to come back when I'm healthy uh, as it looks like the team might be getting ready to move on from him. with. And now there's the three-headed general manager monster with John Rico and J.P. Ricciardi and Omar Minaya, and we're just hoping that one guy is in charge instead of all three guys having to make a decision and then report to Jeff Wilpon. We're hoping at least uh, John Ricco is, is the one guy making the decisions because he looks like the general manager of the future at this point. But what I really wanted to get into was a couple incidents from last night. One happened in the Mets game, one happened in Washington's game in Tampa, with uh, unwritten rules stuff, and both of them were a little absurd for the Mets. We had Josh Harrison sliding into second base, uh, successfully breaking up the double play because as Drupal Cabrera kind of hesitated and looked like he tweaked something a little bit, but uh, he jumped over Harrison and then waited until he landed to throw the ball, and by that time it was too late to complete the double play, and uh, this was at an important juncture of the game where it looked like Pittsburgh was going to take the, or they could have taken the lead. So it was, it was a big play. Jerry's familiar on the mound. Looked like he was the one shouting at Harrison. It drove Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez nuts because uh, back in their day, and, and really back in our day, back in the, the present day, this is a, it's a good slide. He, he made a legal slide. He slid to the base, he stayed on the base. You're allowed to make contact with the fielder and disrupt the double play if you do if you do those things. So good for Josh Harrison and good for his Cabrera for recognizing that it was a legal slide and uh and, and it looked like Familio was the only person who really wasn't okay with it. Maybe he saw uh when uh he saw Cabrera land awkwardly really and thought that he got hurt by Harrison, but uh I, I, on one side of things, I'm glad to see uh glad to see Familia stick up for his teammate, even if it was misguided. And uh but I'm and I'm glad that most of the players recognize that it was a legal play because I agree with Keith and Ron on one point, and that is that baseball should still be a fiscal game, at least at second base and maybe some of the time at home play, but when guys are sliding into break up double plays, it still should be a physical game, and uh, and even though there, there is a, play, a rule at second base, you could still be physical as long as you slide to the base. That's the, the number one guy, thing guys are going to be taught going forward is just you slide to the base, you're allowed to make contact with the guy, and you're still allowed to be physical as long as you don't overslide that base, and, uh, and that's what Josh Harrison did. So that's a good play there, and it was... And it was, uh, and I like to point to plays like that every time I hear people complain about the the uh, slide rolled second base because that's an example of how the game could still be physical and you could still play it legally and try not to break anyone's leg. So uh, it was. it was also interesting because Keith and Ron then got angry that as Drubal Cabrera for for uh, fraternizing with the enemy, he went over and gave Josh Harrison a hug, said everything's okay, and it's another thing that. That old guys, and I'll throw myself in that group, will get upset at guys getting too buddy-buddy with the opposition. It doesn't happen in, in baseball as much as much as it does in the NBA these days with guys being friends with each other and other teams and then wanting to go and form teams with those guys that they're already friends with. It's one of the biggest uh, differences between Michael Jordan's era and today's game where back in the day Michael Jordan used to just want to kill everyone and he didn't really have any friends or at least it didn't seem like it nowadays you have all the banana boat crew with LeBron James and Chris Paul and I don't even know who's in the whole thing but there's like five guys uh they you know it was part of the I think three of them were the the crew that met up in Miami with Wade and Bosch so the point is that that, uh, that you know, nowadays guys are friends with guys on other teams, and that's okay as long as they play hard between the lines, which it looks like as Drupal Cabrera and Josh Harrison do, especially Harrison. He's known for playing really hard and, and not giving up on the base pass, and that's why he was a target for the Mets to trade for this summer. But fortunately, this summer, this winter, but fortunately they, they didn't do that because they probably would have had to part with Brandon Nimmo, who has somehow turned into a superstar. But we've already talked about that on this podcast So, uh, the point is, it really really wasn't a big deal that Asdrubal Cabrera put his arm around Josh Harrison. The important thing is that nobody threw a punch in this. Uh, That would have been ridiculous, and that nobody got hurt, which also would have been silly. So, uh, I thought that had a positive outcome, even though, I'll say this again, I can't stand when the the bullpen's empty. I get why guys have to come on the field, because if they don't, it's like one guy on offense against nine guys on defense. You need to come back your guy up. But... There's no point, once the bench is empty, uh, there's no point for the bullpen guys. They always get there super late. They're always like running in, like trying to get, be part of the action, acting like they're part of the team. I get that they're part of the team, but there's no reason for them to be on the field and just adding to what could be a dangerous situation. So MLB needs a rule where if guys come out of the bullpen in a situation like that, they should get suspended. Anyway, moving on to the Washington Nationals situation. They were playing the Tampa Bay Rays, and apparently in a previous game, Michael Taylor stole a base when he was up by too many runs, as dictated by the unwritten rules of baseball, which uh, is just ridiculous, especially in a timed, not a, not a timed game. Baseball is no clock, in case you haven't noticed yet. There is no clock in baseball, and that means that you can never be too many runs ahead. I mean, the Mets were, I don't know how far Washington was ahead in this game where Michael Taylor stole a base, but we've seen Mets blow the Mets blow big leads this year, so I can't blame Michael Taylor for trying to steal a base, even though Washington's bullpen is really, really good. You I don't blame him, especially being a fantasy uh fantasy baseball fan. You uh you know, you like to see guy guys put up stats even when their team's ahead, so Anyway, Sergio Romo, maybe some other rays as well, took exception, but we know Romo did because after he struck out Taylor to end the game on Tuesday night, he started yapping at him, and Taylor kind of looked like he ignored him, and then the bench was cleared. And um and the it was uh it was uh a lot to do about nothing, but this was a miniature fracas that got a little more physical than the one the Mets partook in. So uh so it was interesting. We know Washington's got to be frustrated. They've been having a rough go of it lately. The Braves are starting to build up a little bit of a lead in the National League East. So they couldn't have been happy with this one nothing shutout loss. And on top of that, you have Romo wanting to go at it really for no good reason, even if he did have an issue with that play. It, it, the the, the uh, thing that drives me crazy about baseball is when these issues come up like months apart, like Hunter Strickland trying to hit Bryce Harper after three years it's just silly. So, uh, so you know, Romo looked bad. I thought Michael Taylor handled it pretty maturely. It didn't look like he got too involved. It looked like his teammates came, stepped in before anything anything bad could happen. So that was good job, good job by Washington. And um, again, fortunately, no one got hurt. And what was it really a stupid situation? Yeah, you know, if you don't want guys stealing the bases, you should throw them out. And Sergio Romo was out of line, and it was just uh, another interesting incident with baseball's unwritten rules that I was not a fan of. Fortunately, in Tampa, they don't have the uh, bullpens all the way in the back, so maybe it wasn't a huge, uh, huge hike for the uh, bullpen guys because they, you know, they had to get in there. So. That's, that's like my number one pet peeve when guys come running out of the bullpen five minutes after the, after the benches have cleared and be like, oh, I want to be part of it. It's not, it's, uh, it's, it's ridiculous. Anyway, uh, I'm glad that no one got into a big fight last night. This has been Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio. Get well soon, Sandy Alderson.
1: Amazing Avenue listeners, Allison mccaig here with another installment of our new segment, the DeGrometer and the Nimometer, where we bring you um, updates on the performances of Jacob deGrom and Brandon Nimmo. Um, so let's start with Jacob deGrom. Um, his most recent start was on Saturday versus the Dodgers. Um, he had he pitched six innings in that start and he gave up three runs. A five on five hits. Um, he struck out six and he walked three. Um, he battled through as is as is his mo when he didn't have his best stuff. Um, but unfortunately, since the Mets are so hapless lately, he took the loss for that effort. Um, as Robert Kazelman had a meltdown in the bullpen in relief of Degrom, um, it says something that one of Degrom's worst starts of the year um, was still a quality start and pretty much an average start for most pitchers across baseball. Um, but unfortunately, he took the loss that start um, but his numbers on the season are still fantastic um, he's had 16 starts he's five and three which is obviously a record he does not deserve um, over 101 and a third innings pitched he has a 1.69 era a 1.01 whip a two point and a 2.14 fip his 3.8 Fangraphs war is fourth in baseball and second in the National League, only to Max Scherzer. And his 4.9 baseball reference war is first in all of baseball. Um, as the Mets uh, get closer and closer to the bottom of the standings, uh, trade rumors are obviously swirling around DeGrom, um, but there are really only a few teams in baseball that both have the need and can put a package together worthy of DeGrom, who should really get a sale or Cantana like package. Um, the Brewers have a history of successfully trading for pitchers at the deadline during playoff runs in their history, um, and they have a really good second-base prospect, uh, prospect uh, Keston Hira, um, who they perhaps would be able to part with for DeGrom, um, but, you know, and there are several articles out there being written that they should do that. Um, the Yankees are another team that is uh, kind of an obvious match but they have already said that they won't part with um anduhar or torres which is obviously you know the buck kind of stops there um and todd frazier said recently you can't trade a guy like Degrom, um and i'm kind of in that boat as well um de is a guy that they could build around if they really wanted to they have the core um with syndigard um and with their good um Outfield core, they have you know the pieces to build a team that can still contend in the future um, while DeGrom is still under team control, but do we trust this front office to do that? But then again, do we trust this front office to successfully execute a DeGrom trade that would get the return that is worthy of him? So the Mets are really kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place, but it would be a real shame to have to trade DeGrom um, when he's putting together such a Cy Young caliber season. Um, but speaking of members of the Corps, um, we have Brandon Nimmo, who has cemented himself as a stalwart member of that Corps um, this season. Um, obviously, this week is punctuated by um, him getting hit in the hand with a pitch on Sunday. Um, so bear that in mind when I say that over this past week he's had 22 plate appearances and only a 63 WRC+, plus with four hits, two runs, and RBI, and alarmingly 10 strikeouts, which is very unlike him. Um, he's usually very good at getting on base and not striking out much and taking pitches out of the strike zone. Um but like I said he was hit in the hand with a pitch on Sunday. Um MRI and X-ray were both negative. Um so Nimmo just rested for a couple days and then was back in the lineup yesterday but he went over four um and looked like he was still kind of not back in the groove yet um and it may take him a a little while to get back into the groove so we'll see what happens there. Um, But his like DeGrom his season to date numbers are still great. Um, He said 243 plate appearances and he's slashing 276, 395, 557 with a 163 WRC+. plus. He has 12 home runs, 40 runs scored, 25 RBIs, and 7 stolen bases. Um, his 2.7 fan graphs war is 8th among outfielders, um, and he has 3.2 baseball reference war, and the 163 WRC+, plus he's posted so far in the year, is 5th in baseball, and 4th uh, for outfielders behind only Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, and J.D. Martinez, um, and he is one spot ahead of aaron judge who was recently talked about as the face of baseball but you know brandon nimmo smiling face i think should maybe replace it um considering he's one spot ahead of him still um so right in now for the all-star game gonna keep pushing that um and meanwhile um i'll be back soon with hopefully a happier installment of the degrometer and the Mimometer.
0: Well, folks, that is it for another installment of Amazing Avenue Audio. Thank you so much for joining us. We truly appreciate it. You can go to AmazingAvenue.com to find all sorts of Mets, news, analysis, and lots, lots more. You can also find Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can go to BlogTalkRadio.com, to Apple Podcasts, or to Stitcher to grab this podcast. And uh, we really appreciate it if you rated, reviewed, and subscribed to it. Those things do really help us quite a bit. And uh, we thank you in advance for that. You can email the show, podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. And you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Nizanap. Rob is at WOLFFRR. Allison is at Petit PhD. Aaron is at Aaron P. York. And Steve is at Steve Saipa. Uh, you can also check me out. I was on a podcast. It's a brand new show. It is by a gentleman named Jack, who is a grad student at Iona College. And uh, the show is called Home of the Hurt. You can go to homeofthehurt.wordpress.com/podcast to hear the first episode, which I was very, very happy to be a part of. Uh, Jack's a great guy, and we had a lot of fun talking with the Mets. And uh, yeah, so next time we talk, hopefully the Mets will be in a better position uh, than they are in right now, which is just you know not that hard because it's just been so, so, so bad. But until next time, let's go Mets.